Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to the 37th episode of The Secret Cabinet. This show was created by Der Budla. If you visit podcastnick.com, you can see the newest podcast Nick project called Past Access, moderated by Pete Coleman, and it's a YouTube series. The first episode is Dresden from the Ashes. Pete actually went to Dresden as he goes to all the locations for each episode of the new series and tells about the culture and history and some travel tips on how to see the world from a wheelchair. That new YouTube series is on podcastnick.com or on the Bohemican YouTube channel. But for The Secret Cabinet, I'm your humble translator, Travis Dow. The Secret Cabinet. Ah, yes. Episode 37. But perhaps also the last episode. Since, as is known, tomorrow the world ends. Again. Meteorites are to crash down upon us. A blood and supermoon will appear. The particle accelerator at CERN will generate a black hole beneath Switzerland. And a surprise bill from your landlord is in your mailbox as we speak. It's always something. And perhaps these events already occurred. And with the last little bit of your smartphone battery life, you're hearing this episode as you meander through the post-apocalyptic ruins of the former cities of Berlin or Los Angeles. Searching, of course, for the last phone charger in humanity. I know that's an unplausible scenario, because if that were the case, you'd be listening to the history of the Crusades instead. But even if the sun does rise on a Tuesday, we can still count ourselves fortunate that the world hasn't exploded up around our faces at some point in history. With that, I don't even mean meteorites, alien space invasions, let alone zombie viruses. Those might range a little bit more on the uh, unrealistic side of uh, potential scenarios. Rather, this episode focuses on the handful of occurrences in the last few decades where humanity had some pretty close calls and not wiping itself out on account of usually pretty banal mistakes. And uh, as you've surely deduced, the basis for all these near misses is, of course, the Cold War. Tension between the two superpowers of the Soviet Union and the United States led to a huge amassing on both sides of weapons of mass destruction, which could have wiped out humanity several times over. Now, through the balance of terror, actual war was hoped to be avoided, 
Perhaps one of the most obvious examples of this is during the Cuba Missile Crisis, where for several hours, humanity did stand on the edge of the abyss of extinction as the Soviet Union and United States seemed poised for nuclear conflict. This was, of course, avoided at the last minute through the rare occurrence of human common sense. Obviously, one assumes one tries to create as many barriers between the extinction of humanity and such horrible potential catastrophes. A global catastrophe triggered by just a little bit of human error. One would think we would avoid that. But uh, taking a different stance, have you all seen that movie War Games, 1983? It's a classic. Wait, am I really that old? Well, in any case... Matthew Broderick plays the protagonist, David, who, on the search of new video games, accidentally hacks into the defense system NORAD, and through playing along in a simulation, almost single-handedly triggers such a nuclear holocaust. Luckily, that's just a movie, and that kind of thing can't happen in real life. <laughs> right, guys? In fact, it actually already has happened. On the 9th of November, 1979... Shortly before 9 a.m., a low-ranking Air Force officer launched, perhaps out of boredom, a wide-scale simulation showing a full-on preemptive attack by the Soviet Union. Perhaps not the most exciting simulation, but uh, on one of those remote bases, I mean, what are you going to do? What the young officer didn't know was that his local machine was sending the simulation data up to the main mainframe and causing quite the panic at the NORAD main monitoring station. Nuclear silos throughout the United States were instantly readied for an emergency, specifically a nuclear counter-strike on the Soviet Union, part of the presidential safety net, the so-called doomsday plane from which the president could run the country, was readied. The weird thing is, is that President Carter was nowhere to be found. Perhaps in the time it took to call President Carter, Carter, Jimmy Carter, last call for boarding, might have been all the time they needed at the NORAD station to do a double check on the data coming in to try to identify exactly what was happening. But when the data from the radar systems was coming in and showed nothing but clear sky, the emergency was kind of retracted again. Luckily, before we bombed the world into uh, dust and ashes. Good thing the phones worked. I mean, those critical emergency phone lines must have backups of backups and backups of backups of backups. Right? Right? They, they don't. Really. At least they didn't in the beginning of the 60s. In the headquarters of the Strategic Air Command in uh, Nebraska, suddenly the phone lines going to the emergency bunker in Wyoming in, uh, to the NORAD bunker stopped working. This was uh, 24th of November, 1961. The phone lines to the radar systems were also dead, not even a free signal, as if the radar installations had just been completely wiped out. Even civilian lines were dead. Obviously, only a massive Russian attack could have done this to wipe out almost the whole nation's phone system. Luckily, all the phone lines to the American Air Force bases were still operational, so B-52 bombers with thermonuclear devices were prepped and readied. They were already taxiing towards the runway, next stop Moscow, and within the next 12 minutes, the pilots were expecting the order, which would have started the Third World War. Which came, and the first few airplanes took off. After the Cold War, by the way, it became clear that both sides, the Soviet Union and the United States, had planned to completely nuke a neutral zone right on the border to make a land invasion much more difficult, the, the border being the Iron Curtain. Uh running right down the middle of Germany, between East and West Germany. Since this podcast was created in German, I guess uh, 
we can deduce that it didn't get that far. Luckily, one of the B-52 pilots that were already airborne and kind of heading towards their destination flew by one of the installations that was supposedly destroyed by the Russians. However, with the lack of smoldering ruins, he uh, luckily called that in. Luckily, again, a double check confirmed that there were enough landlines still available that we could call off the annihilation of the human race. So what happened? Well, it turns out that all the communication lines between NORAD and the Strategic Air Command, between the smaller radar installations, and even all the civilian lines going in and out of Strategic Air Command go through one single relay station in Colorado. Not good when you have a bunch of paranoid twitchy fingers above a red button. Luckily, the computer systems within NORAD itself were the state-of-the-art mainframes of the time, which basically excluded the possibility of technical failure. Right? 1980. The calendar on the screen shows June 3rd, only a few months after the one simulation issue. It's 2 in the morning, a time when usually not much good happens. Doing a little bit of uh, late-night maintenance, one of the two Air Force engineers casually looked up to the reassuring screen where zero incoming missiles was generally blinking, only to find that this time it said two instead of zero, so two incoming missiles. The technician froze, presumably smacks the monitor, probably not, but let's say yes for dramatic effect. But he does do the troubleshooting he can do as a technician to kind of uh, rule out a false positive, and indeed the display does change. Phew. Except now it says 220 incoming missiles. Something is beeping innocently in the background. Alarm sirens uh, join the ruckus. Emergency telephone lines are utilized, which this time work, and uh, bombers are instantly launched and prepared for takeoff, chock full of nuclear missiles. The world is about to be annihilated. Again. But again, radar saves the day because none of the radar displays show any sort of incoming Russian missiles. Just in time, again, Armageddon is uh, cancelled. Basically, after a three-day investigation, they found out that one component had gone on the fritz, and instead of displaying a zero, displayed a two. That component apparently cost 46 cents. Maybe that wasn't the place to save money. I don't know. But as again, radar saves our butts, maybe we think, um, at least we have that. As long as we got radar systems, nothing bad can happen. Ah, uh, crud. But for this one, we swing over to the other side of the Iron Curtain, on the 26th of September, 1983, in Soviet Russia. Right after President Reagan had announced his Star Wars project and called the Soviet Union the Empire of Evil. Just a couple weeks before, on the 1st of September, Russians had shot down a South Korean passenger aircraft saying it had drifted over into Soviet airspace. It was tense times. Now, the Soviets had their OKOS team, which is Russian for I, a satellite system for monitoring incoming ballistic missiles, and had with that system pulled up and were technically more or less even with the United States. With a difference, though. Uh, OKO didn't monitor the Earth's surface, but rather peered towards the horizon. The idea is pretty simple. Any rocket launched greater than 10 to 15 kilometers will be picked up as a bright light against the blackness of space by these OCO satellites. Shooting for the horizon meant that you'd avoid false positives like light reflecting off of clouds and various things. Unfortunately, that's exactly what happened. Just a couple of days after the fall equinox, sun rays reflecting off high altitude clouds just in the right angle that to the satellites, it looked like approaching American missiles. 
And it's only been a couple of years, really, since we actually know who saved all of our lives. Lieutenant or Lieutenant Major Sandislav Petrov. He had the night shift on the Sepukov 15 bunker, roughly 50 clicks south of Moscow. And again, middle of the night, when the alarm sound bells, suddenly the system in front of Petrov said one incoming American missile. His orders were to report that directly up the chain of command, which would have automatically resulted in a massive Soviet counter-launch of missiles. Yet, Petrov hesitates. A rocket? That can't be right. Just one? And he reports a false positive to his commanding officer. But then come a second alarm. A third, fourth, fifth. But that's still pretty few. I mean, Americans have hundreds. Petrov just kind of assumed that Americans wouldn't be that dumb and just launch half a dozen. They'd go all out. Because let's face it, the Soviets were going to launch hundreds as a counterstrike. And the Americans knew this, and so Petrov raised, again, a false alarm. Correctly, as it turned out uh, the next morning. Petrov got the highest Soviet Medal of Honor, promoted, and to this day lives quite well off in... Oh, uh, no? None of that? Soviet leadership obviously brushed this whole incident under the rug since it was quite embarrassing. Not to mention, technically, Petrov actually disobeyed orders in not strictly following the chain of command when such an alert is received. But uh, they called it a wash. He was neither punished nor rewarded. Petrov's story was only known long after the collapse of the Soviet Union. But he was finally recognized. The UN gave him the World Citizen Award in 2006, and 2013 he was given the Dresden Prize. Still, not that much considering... Petrov saved the world. Although none of that almost made a difference because on 25th of January 1995, the world almost ended anyways. This time, a rocket actually was in the air, but a harmless one. You see, Norwegians had launched a rocket to scientifically study the northern lights, Aurora Borealis, while reaching an altitude of 190 kilometers or so. Um, it was far away from Soviet airspace. And yet, the Cold War hadn't been over that long, and on those red buttons were still sitting the same officers of the uh, previously dismantled Soviet Union. Those officers still were not expecting anything good coming out of the United States. To the Soviets, this looked like an American Trident missile for which the Soviets had nuclear counter-missiles, which would be launched in a, and stopped via nuclear explosion in space. President Yeltsin only had a few minutes, according to legend, one minute, to decide whether he should launch a massive counterattack against the United States and their allies or not. The Soviet version of the football, i.e. the uh, red button and, and activation codes sort of deal, were already opened and in front of him. Yeltsin, however, remained level-headed and waited until the rocket crashed into the ocean without ever exploding. Only several hours later would their military discover that it was a scientific mission. However, the Russians were given notice by the Norwegians a week previously of the rocket launch, precisely to avoid such a situation. But the guy in the Russian military that received the message had just kind of forgot to post it along. Sometimes phones don't help much if you don't use them. So far, all these situations were avoided with perhaps a little luck and just a touch of human common sense. But of course, we cannot always rely on these every time. Nuclear missiles aren't really safe even the so-called right hands, let alone if they ever come into the hands of extremists. 
don't you all think we should delegate uh, nuclear weapons into the dustbin of the 20th century history as a kind of primitive thing? And perhaps get rid of all the global stockpiles? The American government does not think so. And hence, the Russian government does not think so. Like we ain't got anything better to do, you guys. Could someone please take away these incompetent people, their dumb toys? Thanks. Thanks so much for listening, and uh, in case the world doesn't end until next time, we'll see you then. The show was originally created in German by Der Budla, and I'm your translator, Travis Dow. Check out all the rest of our shows on podcastnick.com. Remember what to do, friends. Now tell me right out loud. What are you supposed to do when you see the flash? Duck and cover. Duck and cover. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.